With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com backslash A-H-T-T. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. From the Gotham Podcast Studio, Ain't Hard to Tell Podcast, episode <laughs> 103. As and soon as we turn the mics on, Ronald, Ronald Jones got a rushing touchdown oh, <laughs> for God. my fantasy team. It's fantasy football championship weekend. <laughs> I hope you don't win. You're going to be a No, no, no. See, here's the thing. We have to win. Like I, don't, I won't even take that jokingly. Here's why. Who's we? Me and my brother. We oh. run the team. Yeah, you were saying we a couple times. I didn't realize it was a joint thing. I was like, who's we? No, me and my brother run the team, right? And the dude we're facing... Obviously, this will. Oh no, no, no! This won't be done by the time this episode comes out because Monday Night Football. We have Mike Boone, who's the running back for the Vikings, because Dalvin Cook and Madison are hurt. So the dude who won, he's a two-time reigning defending champion. He talks so much, and we need to shut him up. Too much for even my liking, because you know I'm here for trash talk. I'm here for it, but so much so that I might, I might have to do something in real life if I meet him. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, well, I mean, the thing you could do in real life is beat him. It's out of control. Yes, and that's what we're trying to do. So, Ronald Jones, shout out to you getting us off on the right foot. Let's keep it going. And by the next podcast, this all could have gone horribly wrong. <laughs> so, we don't know. Name I, of the team is Mike Thomas, the Tank Engine. Shout out to Mike Thomas. He's the greatest first-round pick we've ever made. <laughs> Mike Thomas, the Tank Engine. Nice. I am not in a fantasy football championship, so I have nothing to say on that matter. <laughs> other than uh, I'm rooting for Brian. Um, <clears throat> please bear with me through this podcast. I have extremely horrible congestion. Uh, been battling that for months now, so hopefully this weather will warm up and it'll be over this. But uh, episode 103. It wasn't a touchdown. It was a long run. We are but still, here. But still. We, you got, so you got premature. We out here, though. We out here, though. He's going to score. We got, we got it. We got it. We got him and O.J. Howard. Jameis Winston just got to not throw interceptions. Until he fumbles on the next handoff. We'll <laughs> Jameis Winston already got two picks. <laughs> yeah, that's what, the game that's, just started. <laughs> that's what he does. All right, we got a lot to get to on this episode. Um, some interesting topics that have popped up recently that we want to talk about. Some stuff that really focuses on uh, – Sports media, we've had this conversation going on. Media so, in general, really. Media in general, yeah. But yeah. we've we've had this conversation ongoing, and it's kind of come back to the forefront. So uh, recently, Brian brought to my attention uh, a tweet. Uh, it was actually a quoted tweet that was really good, and I want to give credit um, to the woman who tweeted this. Esmeralda Bermuda. Esmeralda Bermuda. She is a reporter for the Los Angeles Times. Um, she quoted a tweet from uh, NPR public editor. And I'll start with that with, before we get to Esmeralda, who made some great points. Um, but she quoted a tweet from NPR public editor, and it was a graphic, um, which we'll try to bring up for people who are watching the video of this, since the last study on sourcing diversity based on 2015 data, NPR's racial and ethnic diversity for on-air sources declined. The percentage of sources of color decreased from 27% in 2015 to 20% in 2018. This is the amount of people of color in newsrooms across the country in the United States. That has gone down. It's something we have talked about mm-hmm. um, quite a bit on this podcast. It's something I've talked about with friends in the industry um, of color who yeah. work in the, in journalism. It's something I've seen consistently. Um, you don't see a lot of people of color. I think the more concerning thing for me is always lack of people of color in positions of management within these newsrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is why you still see the numbers going down or not being the same. Um, it should be concerning. I think that there's a lot of uh, attempts by news organizations 
to talk about diversity, but they aren't necessarily really about that life. There's an organization that I will not name, but I know people that work there uh, that have a culture group and there are no people of color in said culture group. That's crazy. And you know what culture essentially means. <laughs> culture is a culture is a um, has become a band aid word for a lot of things. Yeah, a a lot, <laughs> a lot of things. So is diversity. Diversity is not the same, folks, as inclusion. Right? Are we including people to be part of the process? That's the things that need to be talked about. Diversity kind of become this this word. It's like, oh, yeah, we're trying to be more diverse. We're having conversations. We have a committee. I don't know why I made that voice, but that's how I feel, <laughs> that's how I feel like those people probably sound. But as you mentioned before, the committees are largely, you know, it's white. The, it's the same. Yes, it's the same thing. Look, this is why people in positions of power being people of color matter. But this also sparks a bevy of other issues. And we'll, I guess we'll start at the top of this, right? So before we get into the actual numbers of this, oh, well, yeah, actually no, let's get to no, the let's get numbers to the numbers now because Esmeralda Bermudez then went on. Yes, uh, news, post- newsroom leadership 2018 reports. This is from the uh, New York Times. These the, no, this is just of all of the newspapers. Oh no 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 no! no I'm saying it just this sort the source. Oh, oh yeah, got these yeah, numbers yeah, yeah. From, Was from a report done by the New York Times. Yeah, which is interesting that the New York Times is the first uh, outlet here. But these are basically major. But let's get let's give New York Times some credit here. They yeah. put themselves on blast. Yeah. as being part of this study. So, um, good job. That's good journalism. So I have yeah. no problem with that. So, uh, these are major newspapers across America, uh, many of which people still read, and these are their numbers in terms of how many you know the percentage of of white people that are in these buildings, which we were talking about in this episode. New York Times, 78% white. Uh, Washington Post, 77% white. Wall Street Journal, 84. LA Times, 64. So Esmeralda Bermudez posted her own uh, outlet. Um, noticeably lower than the others, by the way. So that's the, good. The lowest. Yeah, uh, by a far, actually. Boston Globe, 87%. Shocking. Chicago Tribune, 87%. That actually surprised me a little bit. Uh, USA Today, 85%, but I shouldn't be surprised. Houston Chronicle, 89%. Dallas News, 77%. And the AZ Central in Arizona, 89%. The highest, but it's Arizona. Wasn't necessarily shocked there. Houston and Arizona, both at almost at 90%. Houston, Houston, interesting, right? Here's what Houston, I want to know. Houston's a city with a very large black population. Yeah. Well, you know what else is interesting is Wall Street Journal and New York Times. We talk about the diversity in New York City, uh, but... We know from working in this media market that this is not necessarily it. And here's the thing. I think this is only part of why it's awful, because if you continue of the 22 percent people of color are at, you know, outlet X, for example, how many of them are in positions of, quote unquote, power or leadership or management where a lot of them are probably just staff? They might have 22 percent people of color in the office, but they might have one percent of people who actually have some sort of management position or senior editing position or that kind of thing. I can just look at people I know, like know in this industry and game. How many people do I know that are editors, uh, managing editors, Mm. uh, producers, executive producers, if you want to take things on the TV side? Very few. And I know a good amount of people. Yeah, yeah. Over the years of my career of doing this, and there's very few people of color that I know of that. Now, the, the places you know this where you will see this, um, for people who know, I've, I've done some work for ESPN Deportes and International. Um, they seem to have done a good job of, you know, at least with the Spanish language stuff, of having people who are producers who are actually Latino. But that doesn't always – that's not always the case because yeah. I've also been on some shoots where it is um, Latino talent and me as a, a black person working the camera – and the producers have been white, and I'm not saying that's 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 always the case there at ESPN because there are there's cases where I've seen the other way around. So there are people making um, hiring decisions there or managing editors. A lot of the managing editors I talk to when they call me up for freelance work are Latino, and I'm happy to see that. Yeah, because um, I think that's fantastic. But but it's also a Spanish speaking outlet, and. I think that's part of the powered problem. by yes, and they, and they need, but and they but, need, but, right. that, but that's part of the problem too. Is that if you can't speak Spanish, oh, we're, we're just going to keep you over there. That's we're true. not going to we're not going to bring you over. That's true. Like it's very. It's now we're starting to see Tony Collins on ESPN, for example. Your point is you don't see him like because now we're starting to see Marley Rivera on ESPN, for example. Right, but th- but at least that's starting. Yeah, some outlets can't even say that. 
we we sh- well ESPN is doesn't have. This. I do think ESPN deserves the credit for right. For that's what I'm saying. The stuff they've done. But what I'm saying is, yeah. it also took forever to get here, and this is this is this is the thing. See, but see, here's something you got to learn real quick. Change is always slow, man. <laughs> People want it to be quicker. It ain't going. Look in Look, this in this I, in this America, <laughs> and this is something I'll say. Black folks, we've always known change here is always going to be slow. But is change happening? Because based on these numbers, a good question that we that we just pointed out. I mean, I would think that these numbers would be lower. I would like to think that. Well, then, he, well, but then I have, I myself, as well as you, have been in a lot of press rooms where we are outnumbered, which is basically all of them. I don't think to answer your question directly. No, I think these numbers reflect that change is not happening. I think that it's actually gone the other way. And I think it's interesting if you look at the numbers. If we look back to the NPR stuff, okay, and that was based on from 2015 data, and then looking to 2018, and percentage of sources of color decreasing from 27 to 20 tells you that it's going in the wrong way. Now, let's also be real, and I don't want to get too political, but I'm going to get some political on this. Mm. What's happened in that time? Mm. <laughs> There's been a change in office that has reflected certain attitudes that have had certain people emboldened to do certain things. So when right. that stuff happens, these things have caused an effect. And so I don't think we should be surprised that when we've seen what's happening in our, uh, the highest office of in, our, in this country, with number with number uh, forty five, and the way he spewed certain ideas and empowered certain people to not care about diversity, mm. to try to get their America back mm. when it was not their America in the first place because mm-hmm. they stole it from the indigenous peoples of this land. Educate yourself. Mm-hmm. That that's part of the problem. So, how many of those people in power align with some of those ideals and don't necessarily care about people who look like you and me? I think some of that is happening. We have to look at what's happening in the times, reflects what's happening in our society, reflects what's happening in the newsrooms. It's always going to be a reflection of that. So unless you speak out of it like we're saying, it's saying, yo, that stuff is whack. Yeah. All of y'all buying into that stuff or the fake diversity stuff, but you're not talking about inclusion. I, I, I'm not here for talking about diversity. I'm here about talking about inclusion. When Marley Rivera gets on, on ESPN... When Tony Collins gets on ESPN yeah. and you get to see them on ESPN proper and in different platforms, that's inclusion. Yeah. That's yeah. just not just talking about diversity. Yeah. And that's inclusion. And by the way, they've earned that. You know what I mean? Like it, we're, if we're if we can just strip this down to its most basic form, right? People, and a lot of white people say this, their mission is to hire the best people, right? And a lot of times that seems to be as we've seen 80% white in the company, 75% white in the company. I hate that statement. I hate, I hate that it statement. too because basically what you're saying in code is you don't really care about inclusion like that because you're trying to hire the best people, quote unquote, regardless of color. But I don't, that, that's not what you're really what saying. What you're not acknowledging when you say that is you're not acknowledging history. So you're not you're also not acknowledging that some of us are better than you guys at this. But here's the thing. (laughs) Like if we're stripping it down to its most basic form and we're talking about employment, jobs, uh, all that stuff, skill also matters. And you can't you like skill matters and opportunity to even have that skill matters. And that's the point I'm talking about with history. So if you look at a lot of minorities have come in this country, you're now trying to infiltrate and get into places that have largely been white institutions. By the definition of the way things have been in America, mm-hmm. there's almost no institution that you can argue that doesn't have a history of racism or level of racism to it because of the power structures that have been. So no matter what it is, I don't care if it comes to sports. We talk about looking at ownership in football. How many? There's only one owner of color, and his values don't align with yours and mine. There's <laughs> not even in the NBA. There's still one. There's one minority owner, yeah, and he don't. And he's the greatest basketball player of ever. all time. Like so, he had to <laughs> look but, at the standard it had to to be like, to get that right, right. Exactly. There's a clear economic and racial gap. To, to not acknowledge that and then say, hey, we're going to hire the best people ever tells me you don't care about closing that gap. Right. Because if you care about closing that gap, what you're going to do is say, I want to hire the best people and have my company be the most inclusive place that it can, the most inclusive and talented place that it can be. Yes, people, and I'll say this yes to white people in position of power, you can do both. And that doesn't The even, two don't have to be mutually exclusive. And you that, can do both. And that doesn't even include the places that as we've talked about on this podcast, where a lot of the people of color you see are former athletes, especially black people. Right. A lot of the people you see are former athletes, not other people who have great insight. Like they can put you on, Gerard on, Vinnie Goodwill, Jamal Murphy, and other people that we know. Is there, Right. Is there room for those people? 
there has to be room for those people. There has because, to be, because above all else, they're good at what they do. Right. Starting there. The prop my, and then yeah. my thing what I'll say to people in those positions when you make the statement that we're just trying to hire the best people possible, there are ways to go out and find the best black talent, the best Latino talent, the best Asian talent. Okay? Yeah. There are there's National Association of Hispanic Journalists. There's National Association of Black Journalists. There's, Which I still might join you know, the NAHJ. I'm yeah. Thinking about there's it. a National Association of, of you know, Asian Journalists. I think it's AAJ. Um, there are ways you can go. If you want to find yourself and find those people, you can. Mm-hmm. We, as minorities, I'm speaking, have had to have our own organizations to uplift ourselves. We've had to create our own things, which I totally encourage everybody to do, to uplift each other and produce things out of our, our culture that matter. Don't give me the we're hiring the best people possible. What it tells me that you, when you say that, it says to me you don't want to address the racial inequalities that right. have existed right. within the industry. And you don't you don't take it seriously. You just tell me, oh well, it's it should be fair. And we should hire. Yo, this is America, man. It ain't been like that. It ain't been, it ain't been fair for a lot of people for a long time. Right. Okay. It still, still ain't. And some of y'all <laughs> don't even want certain people in here. Right. So. That's the problem here, and and, and we let's get back to our, our girl Esmeralda Bermudez. And shout out to her for for putting this on Twitter because she did a great job. Yeah, she wrote this. I'm gonna try to get her to call in so we yeah can we we, we, we want to talk. We would definitely want to get somebody on here to talk about this. Yeah, she said, and I love her bio. Says L.A. Times staff writer, storytelling about Latinos in 2003. That's right, sister. You write for your people. <laughs> right. This never stops feeling like a punch in the heart and the gut, even though the most racially diverse spaces in the country. Even in the most racially diverse spaces in the country, excuse me, newsrooms are still 70 to 90% white. The bosses are nearly all white. The perspective is nearly all white. Mm-hmm. It's straight up dull and shameful. And the people in charge, quote unquote, don't see anything wrong with that, which is why, you know, I mean, they're looking out for each other. They're looking out for each other and they're going to keep themselves up there so then they can keep us away from there and then the problem is when one of us breaks through oh i could be the only one here because they're not going to hire anyone else who looks like me or speaks like me or whatever the case may be so this is how they pit people of color against each other as well and and they're com- they're comfortable with it um she and also down in the thread she ends up and for anybody who wants to look at this themselves she also showed uh politico and their staff and I think in looking at their staff, I'm just doing a quick scan. They had all their pictures. There are two people of color, uh, Asian woman who's the CFO, and what I, I I'm assuming because of let's look at his skin tone looks like a South Asian man, uh, who's a man, man managing editor, um, and I knew a South Asian man in, the, in a in a college who had the same last name, um, so I'm assuming that. And I apologize if we're wrong on, on his. Uh, this culturist and ethnicity. Do, do we mention the other part? Uh, the NPR public editor also posted that the the, <laughs> the new on-air source, this is the name of the story, the new on-air source diversity data for NPR show much work ahead. And what they highlight is that the basically the people on air, 83% of them are white, 8% black, 6% Latino, 6% Asian. Uh, I don't know where Native Americans fall under that. And also 67% male and 33% female. And well, you know, there that that's another element of this as well. Is um, I agree. Yeah, it is. I thought I thought uh, Esmeralda also focused on her company, the LA Times. She said LA Times has seen an awesome rise in Asian representation. It's got a long way to go when it comes to hiring and promoting Latinos. The reason what what I like that she did here too is she also looked at what you're what you were talking about earlier, Brian, which is yeah, well. Shouldn't your newsrooms reflect, uh, especially these local papers, the kind of readership that they have around them? So she talked about the California Latino population. Not L.A., just California. Mm-hmm. Nearly 40% Latinos in California. There are places in California named San Jose, San Diego, San Francisco. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. The L.A. Way out there. The L.A. <laughs> County. Now, if, whoever you've been, if I've been in L.A., you see tons of Latinos. L.A. County yeah. Latino population, 50%. So potentially fifty percent. I don't know. I don't know how that translates to uh, the readership for the L.A. Times. I'm not sure. Like I don't know if all Latinos out there are really reading the L.A. Times. I'm not sure, I would yeah. think a good amount of them are. Yeah. But I don't know that, right? L.A. Times overall Latino numbers in the company sixteen percent. Esmeralda, one of them. L.A. Times Latino leadership six percent. Mm-hmm. 
the the question is the thing that she brings up I think is can you increase those numbers to reflect the population when there are such a small amount of Latinos in positions to hire people for people our listeners out there who might get a little defensive about this what we are not saying is just because there are black and Latino leadership people in there or Asian that they're going to say, oh, man, you know what? We're going to try to hook up and bring some other uh, Latinos or Asians or black people along. What we're saying is they might have a little bit more sensibilities about trying to diversify the newsroom. Mm -hmm. So if there is a highly qualified Asian candidate or Latino candidate or black candidate and they realize it might speak to a certain segment of audience, they might be more inclined to give that person a chance instead of the way the power structure has been and just hiring people that look like them. And then there's also the other news of uh, a certain company that I kind of alluded to before. What they also did recently was slash their social media staff. And of the five people they let go of, three of them were Latino. Three of them were minorities, I should say. Yes. One of them was Latino. One of them had a specifically Latino position uh, that was meant to be bilingual. And uh, they didn't see the value in that. So then there's that happening as well. Which was which was interesting because... I'm not going to mention We're not going to mention the company or... Nope how we know this book. but but if you hey if you follow me and you know this person which you probably do if you follow me it's not hard to find you'll figure it out it's not hard to find you'll figure it out but what i will say is <laughs> it, it's interesting they did that considering what the company does serves a significant in my opinion and she population of listens the, to this show so she'll know that we're talking yes about her. shout out to her we love her we do <laughs> and we and stay strong sister yeah we, this company that she worked for served uh, Latino population, I think, in a major way. So to be undervalued by that, and I told her this, it's concerning. Yes. Um, just that they didn't see the value in that. That is concerning. Yes. Um, and but, the and the culture group with all with all white people uh, was told to me by someone in there, one of their two black people in that office. So. Yeah. Interesting. But the, but this is what I'm saying. It's like this is this is what people don't understand, and we're not we're also not going to get anywhere if white people don't start like speaking up about this too like if they're not going to care about it then we're only going to get but so far that we have to create our own opportunities and this is how uh, a long time ago BET becomes a thing and remember the pushback for that when that was being created even people now will say oh why is there BET you know why is there a whole black sort of television I I, I don't even care to engage to answer people that question like it's it's, if you ask me that question you are the problem right exactly I don't have have anything to say to you exactly but I'm saying like we this is only going to get but so far if if people who are in these positions right now don't see the value in diversity and inclusion. And if they don't, then we're just going to keep fighting each other. What I'll say to that is <laughs> it's only going to get so far with the way the structure is right now in maybe we as minorities feeling that we're dependent on being in these spaces. Maybe if more of us decided to create more together not sp- felt so dependent on being in those spaces Hi guys it might be interested on what it might be interesting in what you can create yeah and i'm not saying everything has to blow up but i think there needs to be more things like bt and univision because if you don't see the hope in these spaces then you just have to empower your own yeah because eventually what works here is and what i think white people and people known in capitalism of all time if you're making money over there, even if it's by yourself, oh, they'll want to come in and get a piece of that. They always have. They always oh, will. Yeah, yeah. You should course. be wary of that. Yeah. But they always have and they always will. And so sometimes I think the good things in journalism is you don't always need these institutions as much as people may like to seem. And maybe we are valuing these institutions way too highly. You know we like to hook our listeners up from time to time, and we have a hookup for you today. So for the listeners of the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. You can check out one of my favorite sports books, $40 Million Slaves, The Rise, Fall, and Redemption of the Black Athlete by William C. Roden. That's available on audible.com with hundreds of thousands of other books that you can listen to today. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com backslash A-H-T-T. Again, that's audibletrial.com backslash A-H-T-T for your free audiobook. We're going to transition to our next topic. More controversy. Which is a little more controversy, but maybe sometimes knowing 
We spoke about this in the podcast. What's one thing we always say? Got to know your worth, right? Yes. Yeah. Got to know your worth. Yeah. This was something that Brian sent to me again. Brian's, Brian's always, now it sounds like Brian's looking for this stuff. <laughs> and he's not because he just came across I'm, nah, I'm Look, I just be on my phone. No, I just be paying attention. <clears throat> and it's we, funny because I've had some I've had some job interviews lately, uh, and they are they'll ask me like what where do you get your news? What's your news source? And I I tell them Twitter. I've sort of curated my Twitter in a way that I can get my news, I can get my entertainment, I can get my sports, I can get music. You know what I mean? Like now, I just use it in that way. So these sort of things just pop up on my timeline. You see I it. click away. I read diligently, like a good Samaritan. And we out here. We get, we get, we get, we get, we get it popping. So Brian brought this to my attention, and I think the reason we felt <clears throat> the need to, to preface this, and I'm gonna let Brian sort of lead this one. The, the reason I think this we is needed, near and dear to my the heart. reason we <laughs> needed to speak on this is because what has happened here is a company we both used to do work for. At, um, at <laughs> yes, with. Although I think when you finish this, you might realize how it didn't necessarily feel like a with. Um, and it felt probably more like an at. Mm. Um, <laughs> after, as, after you say that, after you finish that this. Is well done. But this has to do with SB Nation. Um, and they've come up and they've had a lot of coverage about them. And I will preface this by saying uh, both of us worked with SB Nation through Nets Daily. We will also say, um, we're going to get to this, Nets Daily, the people who work at Nets Daily who gave us the opportunities, this is by no means any uh, attack on them because they're, they're- This is above them. This, this is, is above this them. Is, this is the business structure that has been going on there for a while that I had always worried about. Yes. And, and and yeah, yeah. well, by there, I mean SB Nation. Yeah, not, not, Nets, not Daily. Nets Daily in particular. This is just how SB Nation Nets Daily of, is just a part of SB Nation yes. as their other fan blog sites that they have. I think I think because we have a lot to get to, but I think you should read, uh, I guess, the part about California and how. You like, you like when I read stuff. Because this is, well, you have a great reader voice and I just have a lot to say. Uh, but basically, <laughs> in short, what we'll say is that SB Nation basically... Um, Slash their California part of uh, their business, their aspiration team sites. Okay, you want me to without read them knowing? I should also say, Golden State of Mind, and you know I'm forgetting the name, Sacktown Royalty. Like a lot of these bloggers all uh, got let go. So I'm reading this from a friend of the podcast, a former uh, SB Nation collaborated with us, and that's daily Tom Lorenzo. Oh, and okay. I'm going to read this part of it from because Tom wrote it in his article. Yes, but and and we're going to mention Tom because Tom did the right thing. Um, <clears throat> well, it, by the way, I was yeah, I was I was glad I was glad he did that because yeah. you can't. Th- this is the thing, and this is what we were just talking about: the lack of diversity in newsrooms, all uh, the numbers that have been reported. You can't simply ignore these things. Because if you do, and people like Tom don't speak up, things are just going to continue as is. But credit to Tom and the other people at the other blogs who have recognized why this is problematic, how this could affect them and their writers, and why this business model just is is it's bullshit for lack so of a better term. I, actually, so let, so let me I go this because I, I brought up this something specifically on a, on a California law that happened. Vox Media, who uh, runs SB Nation, yes. Um. I will, I, I will also add this. I've been in the Vox Media offices, and Vox Media offices, uh, their numbers and the people look very similar to some of the numbers that we mentioned earlier mm-hmm. um, in some of the other newspapers. So let's, um, what I'm saying is it's not that diverse. Take that for what you want. Uh-huh. <clears throat> They're a large digital media company, array of sites, as we talked about, all these SB Nation sites. They abruptly terminated hundreds of freelance writers in the state of California. The company canceled this agreements with about 200 contractors to comply with a new law. Now, remember, those are freelancers, folks, that goes into effect January 1st, 2020. So, again, a lot of these folks got this news right bef- in the holidays, right before Christmas. On Twitter. On Twitter. Without, without email, right, nothing, nothing. Nothing. The law is known as California Assembly Bill 5, commonly referred to as AB5. The law is enacted to prohibit corrupt cor- corporations from misclassifying workers as independent contractors instead of employees. Something I didn't mention to you, Brian. Yes. And I'm going to take stop and say this there. There has been a long history of companies taking advantage of people as being independent contractors and not employees, doing the work of employees. I'm not mentioning the company here, but I told you about a company I work for where that happened to, and um, 
basically when I ended up being let go and tried to file for unemployment, the New York State Labor Board, shout out to them because they did a great job, they were like, oh, no, 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 no. He actually was working like an employee, not an independent contractor mm. because of the amount of hours and work you had him doing this week, which they did do a questionnaire, and it was a little bit of a legal, uh, I would say battle there, but you know they came at me to get funds uh, unemployment, which I'll say I'll say the number. What the number was? We talk. We were talking about sixteen hundred dollars, folks. And this is a Fortune five hundred company, <laughs> and they came at me for sixteen hundred dollars. Okay. I mean, look, because that's not above a company like Espionation either. So because look at what they're paying some of their bloggers. So what I want to say, what I want to say to that is, <laughs> you have to understand that these companies, what they want is they would be able to get over on these folks and they wanted to continue to get over these folks but however in California now this bill is trying to stop them from being able to get over mm-hmm. so the, the cuts targeted writers for SB Nation blog which obviously covers sports in California Vox intends to replace the freelance writers with roughly 20 new part time and full time staffers again let's go back to those numbers there were 200 contractors for them who were going to be affected by this now because Vox SB Nation realizes that they have to actually pay these people for the value of what they're worth. They're only going to hire twenty. And here's the thing: they're going to make shit. Those twenty people, probably gonna, not. What are they going to get? That's te- what are they going to get on salary? They would. I know what some people were making in those offices full time. They would rather <laughs> cut back on their t- on the amount of content they could put to only pay people a certain amount than to actually. They didn't even go with half. It's ten percent. Yeah, ten percent. Of the people. Because so, because companies like SB Nation, like others, and this is just about every damn company now in media, they want to get as much as they can for as little as they can. Yep. That's basically it. They want how much can we get this for? They want to hire young because young is not always expensive. You know, they want to cut these corners and not give out full time jobs with medical benefits, but instead have permalancers and freelancers and independent contractors and just ways to game the system without taking care of the employer because they don't care about the person, they care about the role. They care about the work that is being done, not by whom. That's basically it. What I was just reading for, I want to give credit where credit is due. I was reading from a Forbes article on this, which is very well written, and this was by Jack Kelly, uh, who covers career stuff for Forbes. Jack Kelly said this. I want to read this paragraph because I think this is important. Ironically, Vox was a big proponent, a proponent of AB5 and viewed the new law as a victory for workers. This is the unintended consequence of ideas that seem good at first, but have ramifications that hurt people it intends to help. Vox contractors will lose out on the earnings derived from writing pieces for the company. For many, we're talking about it is the sole or a large part of their income. It may be difficult, if not impossible, for the downsized contractors to obtain similar journalist roles, as we know, because it's very limited positions, due to the new law. Fox will now need to hire people on a part-time and full-time basis and pay them expensive benefits. They will lose out on the 200 independent writers who offer knowledge, viewpoints, and analysis that will be hard to match with 90% less people. As I said before, it's only 10% of the people they're bringing back. In a blog post entitled, California's Terrible 85 Came for Me Today, and I'm Devastated, Rebecca Lawson, the chief editor-in-chief, of Mavs Moneyball, lamented, and she said, quote, as with many of my colleagues today, because I live in California, I was just told that I can no longer hold a paid position with SB Nation. This means I'll be forced to step down as editor-in-chief of Mavs Moneyball on March 31st. I feel for that woman. She was able to do a job remotely and edit a site and work because she lives in California. She now is not able to earn her income in that way. There's so many limited jobs, Brian. As you know, I'm trying to get trying to get some. And now. what what <laughs> what I think you were trying to hit upon is that because of the limitation of those jobs, these companies have kind of preyed upon that for people to get said opportunities. There's a reason why most of the bloggers at SB Nation are around my age or younger. Yep. Because it, and a lot of places in general, like you know, uh, how many times you look up and you see like unpaid interns at big companies, and everyone's just trying to get as much as they can for as little as they can. In a place like SB Nation, I have reservations about this from the jump. Um, I understood the angle of exposure. I understood the lack of money. In fact, I didn't even make any money the first year that I was there covering the Nets. Um, and then the second year, beginning of the second year, all right, so let me, let, me, let me get into this from a personal standpoint a little bit. 2016, I started writing there at Nets Daily, right? Uh, that first year where I was going to a lot of practices and I went to some games, uh, but mostly practices. 
and I was covering the team basically as a beat reporter because I was there a lot. I was there basically all the time yep. around my St. Francis schedule, around my schedule doing uh, a bunch of other stuff, writing, freelancing at the newspaper. Um, so just balancing all that stuff, not getting paid anything for that entire first season. I didn't get anything until September of 2017. So we're talking about 16 months approximately after I f- first wrote a story there in that daily, right? So it took almost a year and a half to see a few hundred dollars that first time a stipend. And when I got that stipend, this is when SB Nation implemented a quota, a quota in their contracts. Mind you, let me tell you what let me tell you what my contract entailed, right? My contract entailed for the 17-18 season. It was a quota for 30 stories a month. Let's start there. 30 stories a month. Folks, that is a story a day in most months. 30 stories a month. And and on top of that, <laughs> we had we had the quota and we had I think I think somebody above me who you can figure out 50 stories a month for a little more money obviously. And at this time I'm still at St. Francis, I'm still balancing this and all that stuff, right? There's another part of this that's escaping my brain, but we'll we'll get around to that later. So that was the whole season. Oh, oh, and and on the contract, there was a non-compete. There was a non-compete with Bleacher Report, with I want to say ESPN, and there may have been another place there, but Bleacher Report was 1,000% on there, right? There was a non-compete, <laughs> and then after that, when uh, Deadspin found out about this and blew them up about it, the next year I noticed that the contract didn't have a non-compete, didn't have a quota, nothing. So I was like, okay, because it was, listen, it's hard to make that quota when you actually give a shit about what you're writing about. Right. Right. I'm not just. Right, because anybody could put out some bullshit. Yes. I'm not just, po- like, there was a word minimum, 250 words or something like that. I don't know, 150, whatever it was. But I write features, bro. Like, I don't just go out here and just aggregate stuff that is going on. But I had to do a little bit of that just to make the quota and to keep the few hundred a month that I was getting at that point. But that all got dropped until the following season. And you know me, before that third season, what did I say? I'm like, look, if the pay doesn't go up for the following year, I'm not doing this. Because, one, I'm not even a net fan. I'm doing this to obviously build my resume, uh, make some contacts, do good work. Obviously, like being around the Nets, covering the team. They're a fun team to cover. The people that cover the Nets are cool for the most part. For the most part. Uh, but all that was going on. And then 2018, 19, that was when the quota dropped. And that was when I was able to basically, you know, just have have a little bit more of a relaxed situation covering the team, though I was still there all the time. And let me tell you, the pay never changed the entire time there. So then I told Tom... Uh, we talked about it over the summer. I was like, look, if the pay doesn't go up, honestly, and he knows I told him this, I'm not going to be back next year because I just don't see, I just hate their business model. Their business model is rapey. Their business model doesn't make sense for me at 25, damn near 26. I'm going to be 26 in a few weeks. And, you know, when I joined, I was 22. You're you're in co- you're out of college. You're trying to get in. And this is the thing that I'm trying to tell people is that we have to get away from that style of thinking. If I could redo it again, I don't know that I would have made the same decision. Because what happens is people get sucked into thinking they need exposure, they need an opportunity. When if you say no to these terrible working wages over the amount of time, you know, over a certain amount of time, if a lot of people do it, a lot of people just reject that, then these companies are going to have to adjust to us. Because we can control the narrative. I agree. A lot of people don't understand I that. agree with you. I don't have a... I, I've never had a problem with necessarily either paying your dues or getting exposure. What I have a problem with is like you is the business model. Brian threw all this stuff, all the stuff that Brian said, which I'm glad he got a story out there. All the stuff that Brian said through this point, Brian has spoken to me. Brian asked me, oh, what do you think I should do? What do you think I should do this? The thing I always came back to Brian was you got to know your value. And if you don't think something's worth it for you, as I said to him... You got to know when to leave. I've, I, I've left two jobs this, in the last fifteen months the because quo- of that. The quota, also, and both of them on good terms, by the way. Right, both of them on fine. good you terms. Leave, by you the can way. leave stuff when you know you're worth and be in good terms. Yeah. The quota also impacted me, even as video. At some point, they came to me and said, "You have to do as many videos a month." It didn't work with what else I had to do with my schedule, and so I stopped doing it. it again, I'll be clear about this: it has nothing to do with the lovely people that we worked with at, at Nets Daily. They were more than great for me. They're the ones I really always look at as giving me the opportunity to do what I did there. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. You know, shout out to Tom Lorenzo and Bob Windrum um, and Pooch. They're the people that gave me the opportunity. They're not the ones that was cutting the check for me. So 
there's nothing there. But I think they would understand, and Tom clearly does. We'll get to him in a second. Yeah. That the business model sucks. The business model preys on one thing, though. Everybody is not thinking the way that you are. The problem with the way the way things work in just capitalism is that, and just in our American society of work, people are always going to go on the fact that I, if you don't want to do it, you want to come here and get this exactly. limited amount of funds, somebody else will be desperate enough to do it. And that's the problem. And the thing in this social media age, even more so, it increases the level of that because people know they can get some sort of visibility, and you can. Brian, I don't think, is going to be disingenuous and say that Nets Daily did not do anything for him and covering the Nets in his career. It did. It did give him a certain level of visibility and people seeing him following the team and people doing that, even though he's much more than that. But but so did MSG and yeah right backpack broadcasting the, the, and the but, newspaper yeah and but there are ways for side people, hustle and the, you know what there I'm are saying? ways like, for people to do these things as companies and value the people at the same time and not take advantage of them so let's call it out for what it is mm-hmm. SB Nation Vox Media and the stuff they did are absolutely taking advantage of people they're trying to they're not different than most other companies I, Com- I was going to say they're not the only ones by the way I I understand there are going to be people going to push back on this I understand business. I understand that business is about trying to get the most you can out of workers for the least that you can pay them, right? Until you feel like you have to show them to the value, at least in this capitalistic society we've been in. It doesn't mean that you have to take so much of an advantage. I think there's a point where people understand that. I work for somebody. They're still trying to turn a profit. It's not just all paying me. They're only going to pay me what they value me. But when it's clear that in these situations where you're getting so much content, mm-hmm. it's so much work, and you're not willing to pay people standard living wages. You're not willing to give them benefits and things like that. You want to skate around that just because you think they're so desperate for the opportunities? Mm-hmm. That's part of the other point I was making at in the last segment we talked about, which is maybe it's time for us to wake up and band together just as a people and create your own stuff where you can you can do stuff for yourself instead of being so dependent on these folks. If they feel they have the upper hand, this is what they're going to do. I'm glad people have called him out. I'm thanks to Deadspin. Yeah, because Deadspin's huge in it, getting to the point that it is today. Yeah, Tom Lorenzo, our guy, did a good job because you know I was wondering, are these other blogs that maybe not affected by this, are they going to stay silent? Tom Lorenzo, editor at Nets Daily, decided not to, and he said he wrote this in his article. After the pass, as some of you may have already heard, after the passing of a new California law that was intended to protect and contract and finance workers. SB Nation, his parent company, Vox Media, cut about 200 contract positions, including many of those who cover the NBA. So more specifically, those living in California. Part-time for our brother and sister sites here at SB Nation NBA. Simply put, it was handled very poorly by SB Nation management. Letting people know minutes before an announcement by the company via Twitter was made public that they were let go. And in some cases, people had learned about their being let go by a simple, poorly timed tweet. The Nets Daily team stands in port of the super... Super hardworking, extremely underpaid individuals who ran their communities in the same way that we do here. We, with love for the team, its fans, and the community, if no other reason than that, so beyond money, beyond access, a lot of people lost in a second the ability to maintain a position within a community they had spent a decade or more building in some cases. Others lost an outlet that kept them occupied after a long day of work. Agreed. He said the next daily will continue to post and cover the team. Uh, Tom was also uh, gracious enough to thank all the people who have worked for the team over the years, including me and uh, Brian, who we no longer uh, contribute, but you know, talked about the hard work that we did. And we, I want to say to Tom and the rest of the Nets Daily staff, we appreciate you for sure for not only the opportunity but also recognizing that in post to work. You know, we made the choices that we made to move on because it was no longer worth it for us at the time. Mm-hmm. Again, it had nothing to do with the people. Um, but it was more about the structure of the SB Nation Vox Media and just how it didn't work for us. I also want to be clear about something that Brian said. I understand how this works for people at a certain time in their life. Yeah, I think for young kids coming out of college, doing stuff for less pay, and I always say this to young people, that's fine. You got, you got, it's fine paying your dues in some way. I get all that. Yeah. I've done that. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. I have a problem when you start taking advantage of folks. You can't ask some 25-year-old who's trying to start making their way in this world and have a living and have some health insurance and try to get do simple stuff like get an apartment, especially living in places like New York City, yeah. and ask them to do this 
30 articles a month yeah. for ridiculously low pay. Yeah. Nah, man, you'll get all the way out of here with that. Yeah. This, this, that, that's not cool. But it does matter to something Brian's saying. It matters when people speak out. It matters when people like Tom say this, who even work for the company, to say that's powerful. It's powerful when people say that. That's why I retweeted it. Brian did. We salute you, Tom. We salute the rest of the SB Nation bloggers who are speaking out about against it and saying that what Vox Media did was not right. This was supposed to be good to protect the workers, but it ended up hurting them. And the most important thing is don't be afraid to say no. Like, just, yep. That That's the most important thing that I could say for anybody in these situations is just do not be afraid to say no. That say yes to everything thing that you're taught in college is bullshit. It's absolute fucking bullshit. Like I can't, I can't even tell you how bullshit that is. <laughs> there, there, <laughs> like you, like you can't, you, you just can't, you can't say yes to everything because then you're hurting your value. At the end of the at day, at some point, there are certain things. Yes, there are certain things that are just gonna hurt your value, and that being chief among them is just don't say yes to everything. Know what you're willing to put up with. Um, say no. Say no. Just say no sometimes. And then you'll get further. Trust me. I want to end this this segment by saying, we, you know, what Tom wrote in his last uh, graph, I thought was really good. He said, we call on SB Nation to an open and honest dialogue with us and our communities about these changes. And give us a greater voice in any future decisions affecting the heart of our work and communities. We deserve at least that. And frankly, we deserve a lot more. I, I would endorse more of the SB Nation blocks breaking away and going independently, but I understand how much harder that can make it for certain things because uh, you would have to do so much more just keeping the website afloat and things of that nature. And it is putting some money in some people's pockets. But look, look I, I think at the end of the day, at the end of the day, controlling you what you can control as much as you can, it just works out better. It, it, I wouldn't be shocked if we see some people go that way or some people try to make independent contributing sites to that. But I hope that they can listen to what Tom said and they can have an honest dialogue and give the people a greater voice in that. Because what I think happens and I think what the shift is coming is you got to have um, stronger workspaces where there is open dialogue. Because when you have workspaces where there isn't open and honest dialogue, it doesn't create for good work environments. And one thing I am hopeful for for the future, mm. people ain't here for that yeah. no more. Yeah. People ain't here for that anymore. With the, and, and I think this is what you're seeing here. And, you know, I think if people can, this is not rise up and fight the system, but what we're asking for is to have open But you can do that. Dialogue. You can do you that. You can, <laughs> but what I'm saying is you know, it don't even have to be all that. It could be just, man, yo, have some honest conversations and be mature as business owners, o- o- open enough to, to, to do that. You know, if you if you can do that, then I think, I think it can actually be okay. I posted on my Instagram this morning when I woke up because I was thinking about this, and I posted it on my story. I said, if we accept standard practices, things will never change. Speaking out and acting accordingly is important. I hated the structure, as I talked about. I hated the structure up top and left, and I'm doing just fine. The industry doesn't change unless we do. That's the most important thing, because we can change that. I am not the biggest college football fan. I don't not anti college football. It's just not something I get into. I don't spend my Saturdays yeah. watching heavily college football. I do check in from time to time, like to see certain players and what's going on and what what not. I did happen to be watching this game though. I, I never watched this I, like, game for some reason. My t like my TV was just on that channel, and I was working out at the crib, and I just didn't change it because I ordered some stuff to the crib, and I just I just left it on. But I didn't see this. Because I had tuned in at a different port of the game. I didn't watch this game. The game we're talking about is the you know one of people's you know big games the Army Navy game. America um, loves oh, this yeah. game. They love this. America game. loves this oh. game. Oh, the, the 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 annual military ad of college football. I mean that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, in this game, this was during uh, college. Excuse me, college game day on ESPN. They're filming it. So Reese Davis. Uh, is there? I actually met Reese Davis um, really? this year. I actually met him when I went to do the LSU story for AccuWeather. Was he cool? He was at, yeah, super cool. Chat, okay. chat, 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 chat up with him for a bit. That's good to know. He really, seems like a cool, really player. nice guy. I was chatting him up for a bit, asking him what he was doing. This was like before the season started. Um, it was a really nice guy, and he I was, he, he, he thought my piece was interesting that I did. You can check that out. AccuWeather, AccuWeather dot com. LSU piece. Um, Oh, that's one of your best ones. Thank you. I think that's one still. of your best. That's, ones. that's my best of the that's year. What, that's what. That's my. That's one of my favorite uh, Dexter AccuWeather stories. Yeah, it was it's really pro- good. It's probably my favorite actually. Um, <laughs> so he's you know, uh, Reese Reese Davis is doing a stand up. He's on camera. There's some cadets and Mitch Shepman behind him, and they were uh, making a hand gesture 
um, that kind of looks like what you do when you say something is okay. I'm going to pull this up to the camera so you can see because I'm doing it in the okay way. Yeah. Um, but when it's held a certain way, that is known to be a, symboliz- a symbolism of uh, white supremacy. And there have been people who've had this gesture out. Some other people say that this is known as the circle game. For folks who don't know, the circle game is, and I want to be clear, this is, this is as uh, Bomani Jones likes to call, this is the example of two Americas right here. <laughs> because there's a game that's done a different way by minorities yes. that isn't done uh, by white people. You hold it like this. For people looking at the camera, there's a thing that uh, minorities will do where you hold You your put hand all your fingertips together. into like a bowl. And is, you that, try- is that accurate? Yeah, it's kind of accurate. Yeah. Like a bowl kind of put together. It's almost if you're giving something to someone. Yes, all your fingertips are touching. It's like it's almost like, like uh, people do this in church. Yeah. And, and Italians do it also. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Mike when Scott. <laughs> Scott. Scott would agree with us. Um, and you show it. So you try to get somebody to look at it in a place generally that is inappropriate. So you're trying to put like below your waist, someplace stupid they would look. Yeah. And then when they look, you like you get to hit them you because gotta of that. Them, yeah. You got to punch yeah, them. And sometimes you have to get them to break the dam when you put your two uh, index fingers pointed at each other like this. And you count one, two, three, and once they cut it off at whatever point. So if you get to three and they like break it, then you get to punch them three times. That I did a, not know that, that was that a variation one. of that okay. one. So there's that one, and there's the other one where you put your palm out facing up like this. I don't know if you guys can see this, but put your palm out and then your finger on top of your palm, your index finger on top of your palm. That's the one that goes like this. Yeah, I didn't know about that. But anyway, yeah. So... People, uh, people listening are like, what are they doing? We're, just trying, they- <laughs> we're trying to explain to y'all what the, the, the two Americans are. You can look at the YouTube video for yeah. So the circle game is sort of like what we said where you pull the fingers together, but you hold up the okay sign, except in a certain way you try to get somebody to do the same thing, you have the opportunity to punch them. This video came out where it appeared these, these young men were doing this sign, um, and there was a lot of stuff about it. People jumped on it and was like, yo, what are you doing? This is a sign of white supremacy and it's showing it on TV and these people are supposed to be representing the country. I do wonder how that became a symbol for white supremacy. <laughs> that I don't know, the background of it. I don't know, but, but I know that it is. Yeah, right. Um, and so I saw this and I was really upset. What I didn't understand through the middle of the week was how this happened and like nobody from the armed forces spoke on this. Yeah. That's what that's what yeah. shocked me. Like them of all people. You would think they would be like, we don't want anybody to associate this, especially when so many young black and Latino people use the army as a way to sometimes get out of their hoods. Na- Navy's one of the Navy's best players, Keenan Reynolds, just left there like a year ago. And Navy, or two excuse ago. me, and Air Force, and yeah, I don't yeah. just becoming the army. Yeah, but but Keenan Reynolds was one of the best quarterbacks that they've had recently, and he was like a Heisman Trophy candidate, and he's right. obviously black. And yeah, Keenan kind of gave that away. Yeah, yeah. Um, what. I noticed on Twitter, and I watch a lot of people do this, was try to say that, hey, this is not racist. This is the circle game. These kids were just playing around, to which I didn't understand. Because if you understood what we broke down about how the circle game or all your fingers touching together game works, the whole thing about it is you got to get the person to look somewhere. Mm -hmm. And then because they look somewhere inappropriate, the whole joke is that and then you have the opportunity to hit them. If you were showing, even if I did this to the TV, I'm holding up the all fingers touching sign because I'm not doing that other sign. If and if I do that, doing it to the camera is stupid. Because I'm, exactly. am I then now going to hit all the people that are home watching? Yeah, it's it's only funny. It only would have been funny if they did the the all fingers touching each other the the or regular the other way. sign to the if, other guy. If they if they did that to somebody else and then the other guy looks and then you see him punch him right on camera, that actually would have been, been really funny. funny. But that's. But that's Not far from what happened. What happened? <laughs> they showed the sign below the waist to this the camera. Clearly, we're holding it up to the camera. Yeah, they were clearly intending. So to. it was I, just you know just just college kids being stupid. That kind of. So thing. my thing is, I don't doubt just being black in America. I don't doubt that they didn't know there was a racist history behind that because it's the same thing people the, try to the, yeah. But then why try else, to do exactly? People why try else would to you do it. And that community and what they do in that college setting, they try to do the same stuff with blackface and all this other stuff, and then act like it's not a joke. Oh, shout out to Kim Kardashian. Yeah. <laughs> I don't believe, necessarily, because now the, uh, after all a week, almost a week, the uh, military came out and made a statement, finally, which took them long enough, and they said, we are confident the hand gestures used were not intended to be racist in any way. I'm not. <laughs> However, we are disappointed by the immature behavior of the two fourth class midshipmen, and their actions will be appropriately addressed. Except nobody's going to ever say how that would. Hey, right, right. But that's the thing. We should know. 
Like when whenever this kind of thing happens, like like when Riley Cooper says the N word at a concert, you know, I'm gonna beat all these N words up in here or whatever he said at a Kenny Chesney concert or whatever, and then he's going to sensitivity training, quote unquote. Well, how come we don't ever know the result of this? We don't know when, we don't know who is he speaking with, who is in that room. I just want the process. Like what's I don't even care about when. What's the process though? Like how exactly you know people like Is it I'm an app? Re- like is I'm it gonna, even in person? I'm gonna rehabilitate my life. It's gonna be better. Like, oh how oh, how are you going to do that? We should know these things. Um Which they, I mean, look, some this this was from Naval Academy Superintendent uh Vice uh Administrator Sean Buck. Yeah. The Naval Academy is fully committed to preparing young men and women to become professional officers of competence, character, and compassion in the US Navy and Marine Corps. In this case, we recognize there's more work to be done. So a couple things I will say before we wrap here. I even if they did the investigation and they found out that it was racist, I don't necessarily trust the United States Naval Academy to come out and be like it was racist. Mm. Because you know why they don't want to do that? I just talked about how a lot of young black and Latino minorities people use this as a way to get out and they might be like, yo, I don't want to mess with the Navy anymore. So they don't want to upset the apple cart in that way. I don't think those kids it's hard for me to do. I don't think those kids were not aware of what they were doing. I think they know it, and it could get visibility. And as somebody who works on camera and has done a lot of lives out of camera, people will do the dumbest things yes. just to be on camera yes. thinking that it's funny. Yeah. Uh, well, we saw recently that there was a, I forget the woman's name, but there was a reporter who was covering, I believe it was a marathon, and a dude ran oh, by. Oh, shoot, shoot. Oh, 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 so speak on that. And a dude ran by and smacked her ass while she was on camera. She, I, and she obviously looked very repulsed and rightfully so because she was just harassed on camera for a lot of people to see. That, again, people will do whatever to get on camera, and people obviously some people think that certain things are okay that are alarming when they really aren't, as uh, we see with the Army Navy game, and as we see in this marathon situation from a while back. That woman, what happened to her was absolutely re- reprehensible. <clears throat> um, a friend of mine works at the station of her as a reporter at that exact station in Savannah, Georgia. She actually came up here and watched the podcast one time, and she used, oh. to, she used to work with me. And um, yeah, it's, it's disgusting. There's no way that should happen, but you have to call out that that behavior um, always. Look, I think until we start, people got to stop making excuses for racist or seemingly racist behavior. Um, I think the excuse in this situation, I call it an excuse. I think it's whack. It's not, it, I don't, it doesn't make sense how it could have been the circle game. It doesn't, it literally doesn't make any sense. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't make any sense. This could have been handled so much better. So, like, but I'm not surprised at how it was handled because it also showed me by the news coverage this got, and there was some outrage on Twitter. Cause, but you could tell a lot of people didn't write about this. This was very underreported. Of course. Um, America. It shows me <laughs> that America cared way more about the beautiful pageantry of the Army-Navy game than somebody doing something in the people that they hold to the highest regard and making sacrifices for this country that they hold in a very high regard. We've seen how that's worked around this, college. This, whole, and this is the theme of this entire episode. People were way a lot a lot more mad about Colin Kaepernick taking a knee mm. against police brutality because they, it upset them so much against about, about the American flag when it wasn't about that than they were about people who supposedly, or the people that they thought Colin Kaepernick was disrespecting could be disrespecting minorities in this country. Nah. They weren't really mad about that. Kind of goes back to something you said before. Mm. Until those people start caring as much, right, maybe certain things don't change. Their ideals don't change. But sometimes I think, I don't know if I necessarily care to change their minds or expect them to change that much. I'm getting those Colin Kaepernick sneakers, by the way. They are dope. I'm getting them when they, they come are out. Dope. <laughs> they are dope if you haven't seen that. They are dope if you haven't seen that. Um, all right, that's it for this episode of the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast, episode 103. We are moving through the hundreds already. Oh boy. Um, the next episode is going to be a lot a lot more fun. I don't think I don't think there were any laughs on this show. But listen, <laughs> these me. conversations, all I'll three of your them. Team. I laughed at your team in the beginning. Right. All three of these conversations, very important. Like, it is important to have the serious stuff just every now and again because as joe budden says if you're always joking when do you ever get serious like that's right yeah it is sometimes you gotta have serious conversations sometimes like life gets real and, gets serious and all this and stuff talk. all this stuff is are things that people struggle with all the time yep so, so hopefully uh the discussion w- was was helpful we hope to get people who've written some of this stuff like the stuff we talked about 
uh, with SB Nation Despin. We are trying to get some of those people to come in, either call in or come in to talk about it, some of the writers to talk yeah. about it, because I think people who've covered it can give it an even better voice. Um, so these are conversations we look to have in the future um, around this. All right, that's it for episode 103 of the A Hotel Podcast. You know how to find us. You know how to support us. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. That's where we're at. Also, check out our Patreon page. Also, please be sure to check out our promotion, uh, our partnership with Audible as well, too. Our T Public Store, we have some great deals going on through the holiday season. You can save up to 30% on all our gear and merchandise. Could be a good uh, little stocking stuff for late or after something you want to get in the new year for the family. Um, so that is it. Um, until next time, for episode 103 of the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. Uh, also, big shout out to our uh, producer, Mike, and everybody handled everything behind the boards today. Yes. Until next time, y'all. Peace. Peace.